Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to series three of The Legacy Tapes, a series of podcasts exploring how to leave something lasting in the ephemeral medium of theatre. I'm Rebecca Atkinson-Lord, and today I'm talking with the incredible Lynn Gardner. Um, Lynn has had an eminent career as a theatre critic, journalist and author. She's worked for The Independent, The Guardian, The Stage, amongst uh, lots of others, and is undoubtedly one of British theatre's leading advocates. Hello, Lynn. Hello. Hello. Um, So you're the first person that I'm talking to that doesn't identify primarily as a theatre maker. Um, And you're so beloved amongst the theatre making community that you, you kind of an honorary one of us. I feel like you shape the ecology as much as most of the artists I know. So um, it seemed like a good place to start with you as my first non-theatre maker guest. Um, you've got such an incredibly powerful voice um, and I feel like that's helped launch quite a lot of iconic companies that all that I think of as iconic now. Um, have you been conscious of using that impact to shape the theatre ecology in a way that that will leave a legacy for future theatre folk? Um, Well, I guess it would be really disingenuous to uh, try and pretend that you're not aware that you can influence in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it is one of the things that critics do all the time. Um, I think the thing that happened to me, which was two things which is first of all I think really quite early in my career uh, I um, and certainly after I went to the Guardian Mm -hmm. uh, where I uh, realized that there was a lot of theater that I thought was really really interesting and that simply was not being covered and I think there Mm -hmm. is absolutely always that question that what is reviewed is often what is kind of valued in the culture uh, and uh, secondly, that I was very aware that often when I read other critics, my feeling was that what they were doing was shaping the culture in a way by holding it back, by being gatekeepers a lot mm-hmm. of the time. By uh, and, and I was incredibly aware of that when I was uh, in my early 20s, in the 1980s, and I think there was then a sort of first wave of uh, women writing mm-hmm. about theatre. And often the reviews would say, oh, this you know, young woman is a sparky young thing, but uh, <laughs> she doesn't understand structure and she should go away and read the plays of J.J. She's Lewis. not a man. <laughs> yes, well, maybe that's exactly what they were saying. So I think that actually I sort of felt that my job was to be a midwife, uh, not to be a gatekeeper in mm. some way. And then I think the other thing that, became really apparent to me I suppose after a period of time was that I was as much interested in process as I was in product Um, and I guess that during my 23 years at The Guardian uh, 
the fact that from the for, you know to about 2008 I was regularly writing a blog mm. a blog that allowed me to sort of think out loud about yeah. theatre and about the industry and about how theatre is made and all those things suddenly made my job a great deal more interesting than simply going to the theatre every and, night yeah. and, and giving uh, a quick verdict and giving a quick verdict with a star rating at mm. the top of it yeah, yeah. Uh, and actually if I'm perfectly honest I think that uh, I don't know sometimes I think about this and I uh, of course you can't say for sure but I do wonder whether I would have carried on reviewing theatre in the way that I did if it had not been for the fact that the blog also allowed me to think out loud about theatre yeah. and how it worked Yes. And that the two went hand in hand. And and often, I think quite interestingly, that some of the blogs that I enjoyed writing most were those which quite clearly referenced a lot of work but tried to put them into some kind that work into some mm-hmm. kind of context. Yeah. And, a, and, a, and a conversation with each other. Yeah. Which is yeah. which is I th- I think that was one of the things when I when I was uh, a younger theatre maker, um, was just having this sense of there being a dialogue between works of art that I'd never really been aware of. Uh, yeah. as, you know, as a kid in Wolverhampton, you just you, you don't know that this yeah. might be responding to. The, yeah, you know, and I think else. that's I think that's endlessly fascinating. It's one of the reasons I really love Edinburgh is mm. because of the fact that when you're in Edinburgh, one, it's a culture of work that's often been made quite quickly and uh, quite quickly in the moment just before it is shown which can have real downsides but can also mean that it often is kind of quite reflective of the world yeah and the changes that are going on so I think that's good but I think there's also something about the fact that if you are seeing five or six things a day inevitably things start kind of moving about in your head like snooker balls, mm. you know, smashing into each other. Yeah. And that that's really, really fascinating. Yeah. Um are the things that are the things that you are conscious of wanting to see change? Like do you I mean I know there are because I've read your I've read your writing for a long time. But 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 what is it that you want to change the world into? What would you like to be well, I mean, midwifing. Yeah, I mean, to a large degree, it's funny. I remember once having a conversation with one of my peers, somebody who's a bit younger than me, and uh, he sort of said, I want to change theatre. Mm. And I was quite interested in that because, to some degree, I don't see it really as my job to be there changing theatre I think it's the job of artists to do that and on the mm. whole I think they do a jolly good job about it I but you're think... very good at going hey guys look at this thing or look at this thing in the structure or the process well or the... maybe I do but I think all I'm doing is noticing things which are already, already there. there and perhaps nudging certain things and mm. being less interested by other things. Yeah. So, um, um, so I I think it's my job to keep my eyes and my ears and my heart mm. kind of open and just try and uh, spot what it is that artists are interested in and um, and try and write about that. That's that's 
a good way to put it, actually, because I feel like one of the things that I think I probably thought early in my career was that what I was interested in didn't really matter. It was what other people wanted to see. But I think that's a great mistake for a lot of young theatre yeah, makers, isn't absolutely. it? Because what it is is being driven by the market. Yeah. It's it's like sitting down to write a novel and saying, what is the novel I want to write? But rather than doing that, saying... What uh, will they buy? What is it that yeah. people will buy? Yeah. And I, you know, and I guess, I, you know, I, I, I think that way... Well, not only is it a cul-de-sac in terms of theatre culture, mm. but actually I think you're doomed to be wrong. Yeah, I, I remember once having a conversation always. with uh, Nika Burns, the yeah. producer, West End producer, of Nymax Theatres, and um, I remember her saying to me, the only time she had ever, this is a few years ago, the only time she'd really ever lost her shirt yeah. was when she went, I hate this and I don't see the value of it, but I think it will sell. Yeah. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I, do you know what? I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon yeah. the only times I've ever really, as, as a curator, the only times I've ever really ballsed up yeah. Is when it was something that I didn't care about. Yeah. But I think those things are really interesting, aren't they? Because I think one of the things that I find quite interesting, for me, as somebody who is writing about theatre, as a critic, and I guess also for somebody like you as a curator, about those questions of taste and about how your taste shapes what is it, what it mm. is that you support or champion in some ways but also about that ability to sometimes look at some something and go this is completely not to my taste mm. but I can really see the value of it yeah yeah because uh, there are lots of things like that and um, like I see a lot of work I'm like I you know I, I find the point at which I'm calculating the weekly running costs of the show then I know that it is not my day then yeah. either I'm not going to find something to redeem this um but but quite often there are things that that are so far beyond anything I would ever make you know probably anything by David Hare I would never direct yeah. but I can see how other people find them so deeply valuable and resonant and they can be beautifully done you know, I feel like this is the second time I've picked on David Hare in this podcast. He doesn't <laughs> listen, I'm sure. But if you do, David, sorry. Um, uh, so you talked about um, things you like and things you don't. You know, just your taste. Well, well, I think there's something else around taste there, though, yeah. that I kind of find quite interesting. Because, again, I think that people often want to kind of second-guess what your taste is. And often I think that they're completely wrong. And one of the things that I would so... I think is so valuable, and I think it was to do with uh, my upbringing and my mum. My mum mm. was a really keen theatre-goer. Mm. But she might have been considered what some people would say was an entirely indiscriminate theatre-goer. Uh, and I lived near um, Croydon, and mm -hmm. the Fairfield Halls was yeah. nearby. And uh, the Fairfield Halls in those days, it was not a producing theatre, but it operated in a sense like a rep theatre, mm -hmm. which is that it did had a different show that passed through yeah. every single week. Mm -hmm. uh, and we didn't go every week, but we went quite regularly. And so we'd go and see an Agatha Christie thriller, and then we'd go and see a Chekhov play. Yeah. Um, and um, in a way, I just 
loved it that um, I didn't really realise at the time. But what my mum was kind of giving me was a sort of an education in theatre. Um, yeah, that eclectic grounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's still true now that I really like all kinds of different mm. theatre. And, um, and I think there's something that sometimes slightly goes on, which is that, and I think it happens both amongst audiences and I think by makers sometimes mm. as well, which is that they, you know, they love the area of work in which they operate or which they've decided that they are the audience for that yeah, kind of work, whether home. it's immersive work or new yeah. writing or dance or whatever it might be. But they're quite closed off to other mm. forms and in some cases I think quite sneery mm. around them. Yeah. You know, I've definitely heard people say to me, oh, you actually like musicals? Yeah. yeah? But I, I mean, I do. I mean, it's rare that you see a really good yeah, you know, a great musical because yeah. I think the form is so hard to get right, and it's so, so easy to cheat because you've got all of that emotional manipulation yeah. with the music. So yeah. I think it's easy to be yeah. to, to to let something slide yeah. when the musical do it for you. Yeah. yeah, I find a similar thing in that I get people send me um in terms of what people asking me to do jobs, asking me to do work, whatever they send me things that are incredibly serious and have a social conscience, and I. You know, I didn't see a piece of theatre that wasn't the pantomime until I was a teenager. Yeah. So that's my grounding. You know, I really want the custard pies and wagon mm. wheels. I want silliness. Yeah. Um, I don't think silliness is an excuse for something not being thoughtful. I think yeah. it has to be thoughtful as well. But I was, you know, I, I, I'm like, please, could someone just send me a, a, a piece of, like, fluff? And, it, and, and I, I'm fascinated that even just me as a curator and maker that happens that that yeah. kind of what what is allowed to be available to me mm. is quite narrow mm. so for you that must be even more frustrating I guess when people just assume what you're gonna yeah I mean of course the way that you can try and bypass that is simply to try and make sure that you really do mm. see a very wide range of shows mm. uh, but Yes, I mean, what I often feel like is like the kid with my nose pushed up against the sweet shop <laughs> window going, oh, I'd like a bit of this yeah. and I'd like a bit of that. And you see, because whenever, whenever I see you in Edinburgh, you, you, you're always, like, we always see each other passing on yeah, the yeah, street yeah. between shows. It was nice to see you, but I'm four minutes late for this yeah. thing. Um, and I think you see more work than anybody else that I know, anybody else sort of writing about this sort mm. of theatre. Um, which is incredibly generous of you. Do you? Well, well, it is. But on the other hand, you know, sometimes when I turned up at a regional theatre, people kind of say, "Oh, thank you so much for coming." And I think that's a reflection of the fact that often regional theatre does not has not had yeah. kind of coverage, particularly by the mainstream. But actually, my answer to that, without wanting to be rude in the set, is to say, actually, this is my job. Yeah, I'm supposed uh, to be here. You know, mm. I'm supposed to be here. And I really don't think that you can do the job unless you are really prepared to go out there and uh, see a, a wide range of shows. Mm. And about Ed Edinburgh, Edinburgh always feels like, to me like my larder. 
<laughs> yes, it feels like you go to Edinburgh, you stock up the larder, mm-hmm. you see lots of shows. The other thing that's really great about Edinburgh is that uh, the companies I go and see absolutely know that I won't necessarily be able to write mm. about everything that I see. It would be impossible on seeing five or six shows a week, but are generous enough to feel that it's worthwhile giving yeah. me the ticket. And the point really is about it is that, oh, I mean, you know, there's been huge numbers of companies who my very first glimpse of them has been in Edinburgh, perhaps as a graduate company Mm -hmm. or, you know, a couple of years later. uh, And uh, actually, I may not have written about them at that point, but I've kind of filed it away in my head and I will go make a point of going back to see them. Yeah. Do you feel um, a way, because you have... You have such power, especially in Edinburgh. You, like, you have... You know, I am aware that there are shows that I have worked on that you have sold out for us. Um, not deliberately, that wasn't your plan, but are you aware of that weight of responsibility, and especially in Edinburgh when the financial models are so agonising yeah. for all the artists? What's that? Well, you, you can't but be aware of it. Mm. And at the same time, obviously, to some degree, you have to push it... Away. away because I mean Edinburgh is probably slightly different in that in fact because of the fact that space is limited and the number of shows that you can write about mm. is limited uh, I would often prefer to accentuate the positive yes. rather than yeah. write negatively what what is the point mm. of writing uh, a review of a very young company and writing, you know, a mean negative review. review. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, there is really no point in doing that. I mean, I would have no qualms about doing that for certain kinds of projects and particularly if it feels... Yeah, for the grown-ups who've got a couple yeah, of million quid behind them. Yeah, and who well. are packing an audience yeah. in and will sell out really whatever I say. Uh, but of course you have to be aware that that is a responsibility. And, um, you know, and at my... Uh, worst, I spend my life kind of looking through old copies of Theatre Record and going, oh, Godling, you didn't say that. How could you? Yeah. Uh, how truly dreadful. Yeah. Uh, um, but I think that thing of, you know, I think one of the things is that is that you can't but do my job and actually, um, in a way, be having a kind of constant dialogue going on mm. in your head. Because uh, you just about... have to encounter it as an audience member, a well, very, a very and, educated yeah, audience member. Yeah, I mean, and that's really fundamentally the only difference between me and most other people is You've the seen... sheer amount of stuff that I actually see. And the fact that I get the free tickets in order to do it, because otherwise mm. it would be completely impossible. Um, and um, But otherwise, you see, I don't see what I'm doing. And again, really, I'm not kind of trying to, uh, you know, sort of be dishonest about it Mm. but I don't see what I'm doing as being some kind of pronouncement other people I am aware might see it Mm. like that I see what I'm doing as being a response to what it is that I see Uh, and in the end actually I don't think I'd ever managed to write a word 
if I thought about it in terms of being tablets of stone rather than going, yeah. this was Lynn Gardner, keen theatre goer, going to the theatre. and She thought this on this rainy Thursday. Yeah, and yeah. of course, actually, what you might think on the following sunshiny totally. Wednesday might be different. Yeah. I mean, I am a great believer that we take all our baggage into the theatre with us. And that's why some shows speak yeah. to us and some shows don't. Of course, there are also those absolutely glorious shows where you take all your baggage into the theatre. The fact that you're weird, you. the fact that you're frozen cold, that you waited for the bus, that you know the cat puked before you left the house, <laughs> and actually you forget all those things. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, one of my greatest regrets is that I I. When I, I think I was about 25, Ian McKellen's last King Lear, not this one, um, I had a ticket, a precious ticket that I could afford for like mm. 15 quid or something. Um, and I, I'd just been on holiday and my plane was delayed. So I ended up not having slept for a couple of days and I went, I was like, I'm bloody going, I'm not going to miss it. And I couldn't, I just couldn't take it in. Mm. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't be loving to the performers um, and was really bloody grumpy about it afterwards and now I can't afford the damn ticket so I can't go and see if it was better or not <laughs> uh, yeah I, yeah I'm really conscious of how that what you carry in makes it makes a huge difference yeah I love that idea of being loving towards the performers and I think that's really true because you know I just think that in 99.9% of mm. cases, you know, performers are so loving towards yeah. the audience yeah. and that they really give us something. And it sometimes does quite annoy me about actually the way that people seem to dismiss acting as being easy. And, and, I, and it's not. It's, it's, not. Uh, it's really not. It's, I mean, it's the training. Good, ath- good actors train like athletes. Yeah. It's, it's a phenomenal... Yeah. phenomenal uh, discipline I think the loving thing that comes that's a director's thing because I think you spend so long looking at them you do fall in love with them a little bit apart from when they do that one thing you've asked them to do seven times differently you know yeah. so I, th- I think maybe that sense of of love yeah. it feels like um, you know when kids do their thing they, you know they put on their play or they I used to tap dance on a tin tray to the soundtrack to the snowbound right so my parents must, I'd like to have seen that oh my god <laughs> that's why I'm in theatre because my parents were like anything to shut her up yeah. just get rid of her and yeah. Um, yeah and you have to look with love to see the joy I think yeah I think that's how we should look much more yeah um, ages ago we, you were talking we talked a little bit about taste and I sort of just thinking about the 28 years you said since you've been doing this oh more than that, more than that. Uh, yes. uh, 28 years at the guardian God. no well I, yeah i mean i was 23 years at the guardian and then uh, about three years before that i okay. had uh, yeah i had been there for a short time so, so. in the lifetime that you've yeah. been doing this um i guess what what counts as theater or what is accepted into the theater club has shifted yeah. quite dramatically yeah i think it has how have you have you felt have you found that what you care about and what you value has has changed as well? Like what I'm curious about what the the threads are that have stayed the same and yeah. what's been different. I mean, I think lots of things have stayed the same. The plays of David Hare. Uh, <laughs> yes, you know, like, still, almost... yeah, more plays yeah. by David Hare produced at the National Theatre. Yes. Uh, still telling us what we all already yes. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, um, 
yeah, I mean, I guess during that period of time, I think one of the reasons why actually I've been hugely lucky as somebody who's kind of been a commentator on theatre mm. is because it happened to be at a time when theatre was really, really changing. Mm. Uh, and I think that is uh, largely because it started looking out more rather than looking in. I think at the point when I started writing about theatre, again back in the 1980s, I would say that one of the things that, uh, you know, there was this kind of idea that British theatre was the best theatre in the world. And we exactly. had the finest actors and yeah, yeah uh, and the best playwrights. Um, and British theatre is absolutely fantastic. Don't you know? Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Uh, but I. Th- think one of the reasons we felt that is quite simply because we hadn't really noticed what it was that other people were doing mm. all around the world <laughs> yes. uh, we tended to look inwards not not outwards so I think uh, that was substantially changed uh, and I think the London International Festival of Theatre mm. had a lot to do with that uh, that people suddenly went oh this is kind of really you know, different, fascinating and sure. different from what Weird. we think of as being theatre. Uh, I think as a result of that, um, people started um, uh, thinking about form mm-hmm. a great deal more. Yeah. Uh, and I think the other thing that has happened is not in any way a downgrading of the primacy of the playwright, uh, mm-hmm. but just the absolute acceptance that um that what a play is and might be uh is um can be many many Mm. different things so uh you know once we made a distinction between physical work and devised work and a play Mm. now i think that many people will see those things as all being part and parcel yeah, of the I same know thing. Where the lines were. Yeah, between no, no, no. I think it's impossible, and I think that's been a mm. really, really good thing uh, for uh, for British theatre. And I think that it's really courage encouraged a kind of experimentation. And and certainly, one of the things is that often when I've reviewed things, uh, you know, and it might be something that's happening in a cupboard under a stairwell, or it might have been a night spent in a treehouse in a forest in Norfolk, and people would say to me, "But Lynn, is is that really theatre?" And my view always to that is that's the wrong question. Who cares? What is really interesting? Interesting is yeah. what is it that theatre might be? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also was it? Um, I, th- I think more, more and more because I because I remember being again when I was a kid being shortlisted for some bursary thing for young directors and me saying them asking me what the most impactful thing I'd seen was hmm. um, that year and it was. Um, and it was a thing at the court, the fever that Wallace oh, Shawn Oh, yes, the Wallace Shawn Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the panels was like, oh, but it's not really a play, is it? Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't care, actually. Yeah. What I care about is, was I was I transported? Did it add, did I leave changed? Did it yeah. add to the sum of my knowledge of the world? Was it fun? That's all I care about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I always think it's interesting, and because you sort of don't know about these things. I mean, I, when I was at university, I directed a great deal. Um, uh, 
But interestingly, I never directed on the Gulbenkian stage. Mm. Everything I did was in stairwells or it was, I covered the JCR with tinfoil and nightlights and yeah. put on things down. And I sort of wasn't aware of it at the time that I was kind of experimenting in quite that way. But when I think now, often of the kinds of forms and mm. areas of theatre that I've really embraced, uh, I uh, actually was those, oh, that is yeah. what I was kind of, you know, trying in my very clumsy way to do when I was a student. Yeah. Yeah. I, I directed for some uh, some students at East 15 uh, probably a decade ago now, and we did a, uh, a, a sort of a, a theoretically immersive production of The Malcontent, as immersive as you can get in a classroom, you know. Yeah. And I, I just bumped into one of them in the street recently, and she was like, did you know, we, uh, we, we pissed on some of the sheets and left them under the radiator, and then we left some prawns in just so that it smelt right. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I'm so glad I would have given you an A, but yeah. You know, yeah. The, yeah. And those things that kind of are happening that you don't know. Yeah happening in people's heads that sort of start shaping their practice. I think that's so true and uh, you know one of the reasons that um, I really feel um, quite depressed uh, uh, about the fact that for example A-level studies, uh, theatre mm. studies uh, is now quite significantly the most recent figures on the decline, the number of students who are taking mm. that, is because I think it's been hugely influential yeah. in uh, terms of helping to shape theatre. Uh, because the people who are often doing that have been taught by people who are really, really keen on alternative uh, kind of modes yeah. of expression and forms of theatre. Uh, it's often been because they've studied companies, whether they're Frantic Assembly or Forced Entertainment, who actually have very good kind of mm. resources, so uh, easy to kind of do the lessons. Uh, and I think that has and then an influence on the people who eventually do go yeah. on to make theatre. I mean, I'm not for a moment saying that the reason to do theatre studies uh, is to, uh, is to create yeah. more theatre makers but um, but I think that it does have an influence and I think that it will be very interesting to see what happens, what happens mm. as time goes by and if those f numbers continue to decline uh, yeah. about uh, what effect that actually then has on theatre culture because I remember that, A-level theatre studies I remember that as the first time I'd ever been allowed to make a thing myself Right. Yeah. First time I was ever allowed to speak my own words. Yeah. Or, or someone, you know, one of my peers' words. Yeah. Because before that, it had all, you know, it had been Shakespeare or it had been yeah. Carl Churchill or it had been, you know, brilliant plays, but nothing placed value on anything that came from me. Yeah. And then that's so crucial because yeah. I think that moment when either somebody else, either through a course or you yourself, give yourself permission. Yeah to actually say, oh, I might be creative, I might be able to make something, like, I, I think is a really, really, really important. Hearing. Yeah, that, is a really, yeah. really important thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and not and you're you know, not just yeah. to be an artist, but yeah. to be a human being in the world. Yeah, yeah. And but that, actually, I think that's true about writers as well. I mean, one of the reasons that I think that... Uh, about people who write about theatre, mm. and one of the reasons that... Um, uh, you know, lots of people, particularly if you um, get uh, a few journalists gathered together, uh, you know, theatre writers is often the mood from some people is, you know, is very, very gloomy and uh, because of the number of layoffs yeah. there are and people losing their yeah. jobs. But actually, I think we need to look at it the other way, which is that there are more people now writing about theatre 
mm. on a regular basis yes. uh, than there have been in the whole of my theatre-going life. Yeah. Uh, and I think the fact that there are more people writing about theatre in whatever form that that might take, mm. uh, and goodness, in some cases, it might be as small as 280 characters yes. on a, yeah, on on a tweet, uh, but being able to express what they think and feel uh, and many of them, of course, are doing it, uh, you know, uh, on uh, other platforms mm. and writing long form about that, I think is uh, is really, really good for theatre. Uh, mm. And I think it is all part of the critical culture. Uh, yeah, because it means you it means you're invested and you care about it. And uh, so, so this is interesting because I think I've just had a new a new thought for myself. Um, because I've I've always been slightly like I'm a, any kind of citizen reviewer is always welcome in any theatre that I have the right to give them a ticket to, um, or you know any kind of non I mean the the words professional and amateur are difficult and loaded but anyone can come and review I'm on board for that come and see the show, um, but I've often in the past been frustrated with ill-considered or ill-informed or just lazy quick critical responses not just of my work but of all sorts of people's um on the on the twitter or on i can't think of a appropriate website but um but actually and it, and it always used to sort of annoy me um but maybe i need to challenge my habitual notions of value because actually when i choose to go to a restaurant when I'm travelling and I'm an obsessive foodie I care more about food than I do about theatre really I like no. probably I mean probably yeah <laughs> uh, don't tell anyone um, but the I value the the, the two, 200 characters on Yelp or on TripAdvisor from all of those people that have experienced this restaurant before I value that incredibly and yet I don't habitually apply that same process to theatre, and I should, I think. And and why don't why you? Why don't I? Why don't you? Because I'm a snob. <laughs> because, may, you know, maybe if I was a professional chef, yeah. I wouldn't value those things. Yeah. Because I'm a prof- because I'm a professional theatre maker, because I see more of this stuff than any sane person should as do you, right? I am cynical, so it takes a bit more to impress me. And sometimes, you know, I've, I'm conscious that as, as I've got older, I see brilliant shows, and I'm like, well, it's really just regurgitating that thing I saw in 1999, you know? And I, and I am jaded because it's such a difficult... What what is it? Because because the exchange, the thing you're asking from the audience, is actually quite a lot more. You're asking the audience to give you more of their time, and emotional commitment, and financial commitment, and intellectual energy than you are for a meal. So I don't. Yeah, I'm a dick. I mean, it's because like I'm not yeah. saying it's a, a good choice, yeah. but I'm saying I, I I'm aware think there of that is a thing about kind of valuing the audience response. Kirsty Sedgman, who is a, a really interesting academic who writes really around uh, the ideas of the audience, mm. uh, and uh, she recently had a piece on Exeunt mm. uh, where she was talking about. Uh, 
how we don't really value audience responses. Mm. And, uh, and, and she said something uh, I think is really interesting. I think it's kind of probably a deliberate paraphrase of that Rimini protocol idea mm. that the audience are experts in their own life. Yes. Uh, and it says that audience are yes. experts in their own response. Yeah. Uh, yes. And it, instead, yeah. what we actually end up doing is applying kind of value judgments, which are around that we don't quite, be, um, you know, trust that response of the ordinary audience member over the the professional yeah. and um and that what it you know is to do with is around uh judgments about what is value uh and those are often hugely tied mm. up with what we think is great art or is not great because art. isn't that interesting because actually like i do really care that my audience has an amazing time mm. i care more that they have an amazing time than I mean I want you to have a good time Lynn mm. but I care more that like yeah. or, you know people who haven't seen eight shows this week have a great yeah. time um, because it's more precious to them mm. somehow and yet my maybe my yeah my habitual notions of like self worth probably like it's about getting into the club right yeah so 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 even though I really want the audience to have an amazing time those little those audience reviews don't get me into the club. Yeah. Of yeah. whatever it is. But I think that theatre does these things all the time because I think that theatre completely colludes in those ideas about what it values and what it doesn't mm. value. And again, I don't for a moment want to be seen as being disingenuous, but, um, you know, um, why is it that actually that they might value the view of Lynn Gardner mm. more than they actually value the review of uh, Lynn Smith, yes, who actually has seen everything that they put on at yeah. their theatre in the main space and in the studio yes. and has done for the last kind of five or six years and may actually have her own form, you know, her be yeah. an expert in the work of that particular regional theatre yes. or... Yeah. And, and how it speaks to this particular audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things that's problematic about uh, being a... Um, a critic and and though you know i've been a great um mm. you know i've felt that it's really important that uh the regional theater is uh covered by the mainstream press and really pushed and pushed when i was at the guardian mm. to make sure that it was i think there is something um in the same way that there is about parachuting artists into work in a particular yeah. community without them really being familiar and embedded and yeah. knowing about that community i think there is something odd about parachuting a critic in uh and uh reviewing that work mm. particularly if it is perhaps only one piece in uh, an ongoing season and it's yeah. one of the reasons why I think that if there is a crisis in criticism in the sense that um, I think we can inevitably say that the trend in terms of coverage will be down uh, particularly in terms of coverage in the regions mm. uh, then I think what it is that theatres really have to do is um, harness the own the experts in their own community 
who are regularly seeing the work and therefore actually could be in a constant dialogue with mm. it in a way that actually somebody just coming in to see Doesn't one matter. or two things in the yeah. season, probably the things which are the most high profile that may have a bit of star casting, yeah. are never going to be able to do. And by that, I don't just mean um, actually people who perhaps would name themselves as being bloggers. Mm. Uh, I think it needs to be a um, much more, um, uh, a much wider thing, uh, which needs to be seen as audience development, that needs to be seen about the fact that you develop a audience, basically, of, I guess, critical friends yeah yes like a, so you so alongside your, sorry i'm just thinking when i when i'm next running a regional theater yeah. um so there's something about having a critical platform that facilitates and nurtures a dialogue amongst the people that are seeing your work regularly from yeah. that theater that runs alongside the artistic program so you're almost programming the critical sphere as well as the artistic one not in terms of saying what must be said but no. in terms of giving giving it the space to I exist. think giving it the space and giving it the support yeah. in order to uh, exist and giving it the oxygen in order to exist. And I think that that is not about closing the debate down around theatre, but actually opening it up. I mean, one of the things that I find endlessly fascinating, I, I, very, I don't follow a huge number of... Um, theatres on twitter because, because at 10 past 10 yeah. somebody from marketing arrives and suddenly they start retweeting all the all positive things yeah. that were said about the show last night uh and um it's that's about broadcasting things it's secondly you know it's only probably one part of the story mm. uh the one that reflects they feel positively yeah. on them yeah uh, or, or on the theatre uh but but I think the other thing about it is that it shuts down the idea that conversations around theatre must be a dialogue, mm. yeah, uh, mm. and a dialogue in context. And I think that, um, you know, that one of the things that rather than simply kind of colluding by plastering up all the four and five star reviews yeah. uh, outside the theatre or posting them on Twitter actually uh, that theatres need to think about developing a real critical culture around their audiences mm. and giving you something to like to chew on like yeah. I was just thinking about um, I think Chris Good once said <laughs> to me that you know the ideal if you're going to have stars what you want on your poster is five four three two one in a in a triangle you know that would be brilliant wouldn't it wouldn't it yeah wouldn't that be amazing <laughs> um because then that then you know that there is space for you as an audience member yeah. in that piece to have a, a, a your reaction will be your own yeah um yeah and and often of course it's the case with professional reviews again in mainstream press that um often you know they're pretty much the same i.e company gets four or five stars yeah. from absolutely everybody mm. uh and uh you know something else gets you know two yeah. stars pretty well from yeah. everybody and of course one of the things that 
you know, that is about is quite simply that on the whole, critics are drawn from a particular strata of university-educated, middle-class, theatre-going, you know, people. And so, you know... being, I, I think, again, the way, the reason why actually having a wider critical dialogue with your audience is useful because it allows um, theatres or makes theatres perhaps uh, think about who it is they are not yet serving as much as yeah, who it is that they are. To. Yeah. I, I went, I went, I went as a guest with a theatre critic who I will not name to see a West End show that I will not name <laughs> because it would be cruel to everyone concerned and um, and we both bloody hated the show yeah um you know it was beautifully done it was very expensive it was slick it added it was it was stupid and it added nothing and it was sort of a waste of our time yeah. and we left talking about that yeah. and the critic who I I loved it, you know I uh, I appreciate their contribution to the to the sphere. Um, was like oh well you know it'll be a three or a four star and I was like you hate this show, but because of the context that it was sitting in, because of the production values, because of the because of the theatre it was in and the star casting, it couldn't be the two or one that it deserved uh, listen i just think that's wrong it's really annoying isn't it's, it? yeah i think it's annoying i think it's wrong and i think that um to a certain degree i think there's a form of kind of corruption around that yeah as well because i don't think any theater in any context is untouchable yeah and no one is served by that I don't think anyone is served by that. Uh, And I think that people actually sort of see through it uh, to to a large degree, yeah. Mm. It's one of the things that I find most heartbreaking, actually, because because I rarely, you know, I I can't afford to spend 40, 50 quid on a theatre ticket with regularity. So I'm in a, you know, let's assume that I don't have anyone I can ask... I'm in the same position as all of the other people that take a punt on a show twice mm. a year. Um, and it's and it's heartbreaking because that 40 quid, that's a weekend out with... Well, I don't have kids, but it's a weekend out with my kids. It's... Uh, if it's 60 quid, it's a Eurostar ticket to Paris. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, 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 the comparable experiences that... that, that that, and I hate measuring things in terms of money, but that's all that we have, apparently. Yeah. Um, but but one of the things you see I often feel about us critics is we are too kind. I don't mean <laughs> necessarily in the way that we write, but mm. I think in the starring mm. of it, um, there are very... Um, there are very few one or two star reviews. Uh, and I see mostly yes. two star shows. Yeah, they're mostly, you know, three yeah. star reviews. And I think a three star review, you're saying, well, this is really quite good. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah, it's above it's above the middle. Yeah, it's and, and I think that it is kind of uh, problematic because, as you say, we all know that an awful lot of theatre is actually just so-so. Mm. It's not particular. It's not terrible, yeah. 
but it's not great either. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm just going to I'm going to move on because I'm conscious that you have to go and do yeah. things in a minute. Um, oh, yes, I do actually. <laughs> yes. Um, I I just want to yeah. So uh, I'm so sad that you're no longer blogging for the Guardian. Um, I think that's. I mean that was stupid of them, and um, and it your blog was so valuable to I think my whole generation, uh, as as kind of emerging theatre makers, it really showed how I thought, and it was this kind of brilliant window into a theatre world that I wasn't part of. Um, what are you doing now? <laughs> well, uh, I'm still blogging. I'm yeah. blogging at the stage yeah. quite regularly. Uh, I've just started uh, working for Digital Theatre Plus, mm-hmm. which is a um, uh, primarily educational website, mm-hmm. uh, which has some absolutely kind of fabulous content uh, of academics uh, talking about some of the great theatre makers of our day, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as um, having uh, full filmed versions of those productions, uh, which is great. Uh, And um, I'm uh, reviewing for a startup uh, called Stage Door. It's Mm -hmm. an app. Uh, And this is what you're going to launch tomorrow, right? We're recording this the day before the big launch, guys. This is an exclusive. Yeah, so um, uh, that's going to be my new home for reviewing Mm theatre. But I'm going to be going about it in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. So there won't be any star ratings. Mm -hmm. This might be horrible for people because actually they may actually have to to read read the the words to find out uh, (laughs) what I uh, think about something. But the other thing that I'm going to do is um, I'm going to write uh, about uh, theatre and not be tied to um, what is opening that week. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it sort of comes uh, in some ways from the fact that it often feels to me that uh, some of the best theatre writing that there is around at the moment uh, isn't the kind of knee-jerk reaction mm. of having seen something and the night before the or, yeah. or you know seen something and having to mm. rush off and file that piece of copy because we all know that you need time to actually sort of process mm. a piece of theatre you often have to let it sit with you and and one of the things I love most is that moment when you come to write about something and you discover that actually you didn't think exactly what you thought about it immediately yeah. afterwards yeah. Uh, uh, and actually that moment when you turn to a friend and afterwards and say oh wasn't that rubbish or wasn't that great and yeah. then you sit and think about it I had a really good example of that actually in Edinburgh this year where I sat watching Katie Mitchell's uh, La Maladie de Mort mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and pretty well not uh, hating it the whole way yeah. through uh, uh, but then in the process of the 25 minute walk across the meadows to the other side mm-hmm. of town uh, you know on my own starting to kind of think Ponder. about it and reflect upon it and suddenly go oh that bit there that was so interesting and mm. what perspective was that story being told from mm-hmm. 
And as it was, I then had to write about it kind of then the next morning. But I would be interesting, interested about what happens, in fact, sometimes if you leave something for a few days, possibly mm. even a few weeks, and how you start trying to see how that uh, piece of theatre might sit in a context and how it might bounce off other pieces of theatre mm. that you see. Mm. So I would say that what I'm doing for Stage Door is going to be very much a work in progress. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it will take, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks or a few months even to see how this develops, how it may work. But it does feel to me as though it's a kind of, you know, quite an exciting new chapter in yeah. what I'm doing. It feels like you, you, you're talking about being interested in process yeah. as much as product. So yeah. it feels like your practice is becoming more process-based. Yeah. Well, maybe it is, but because, of course, actually, I've really, you know, uh, for the last... Uh, well, in fact, always really in my critical life, uh, really have, have, have written for publications mm. that have absolutely demanded that... I produce a product mm-hmm. that uh, for a deadline. Th- 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 yes, that yeah. effectively um, comments on another product, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that this over time may well have the opportunity to develop into more reciprocity. More yes, I think that's true, and and often you know one of the things that I've often found kind of quite interesting in the past is sometimes, and and it often happened on the blog, when Mm. I would have an opportunity to see something which had been reviewed elsewhere in the paper Mm. by Michael Billington when I was at The Guardian. But then I, a couple of weeks later, would write about it, but write about it in an entirely different Mm. context. So an example of that would be Annie Baker's flick, Mm. uh, which I remember seeing at The National probably, you know, a couple of weeks after the reviews had appeared. And I wrote about it in the context of liveness and Mm -hmm. what it means as theatre to be live and what it means to be theatre in a digital culture. Yeah. So I think, you know, and and that's an entirely different kind of criticism than and writing the show means something different coming at it with that eye of course it does of course it does yeah. so you know um it, it you know so i'm i'm not saying i'm not for a moment suggesting that what i'm going to do is in any way kind of uh, uh radical or or startlingly uh different from uh what uh might be done elsewhere but i think is probably a different way of writing mm. than we are mostly used to and also just that that incremental shift in focus especially from someone who's been who is such a figure of the mainstream mm. theatre critical world like that feels actually quite important because generally you know the big boys don't or the big girls don't write like that because they're in a more traditional structure. Well, the great thing about this is that I am no longer in yeah. that structure, and uh, you know, and the fact that this is a digital platform is actually mm. really important to me because I really genuinely think that that's the future. What I would say, and uh, it is, has been a source of kind of heartache and me kind of thinking about uh, whether 
you know, when I uh, sort of um, got on board with this, is that at the moment it is only London-based, uh, uh, which is for very good reasons mm. for a very young startup. Um, yeah. But um, it's got ambitions to mm. uh, to become a uh, to become UK wide, yeah. uh, and um, that would certainly be something that. I would encourage and would look forward to, and uh, and I do think it's also possible that uh, that um, I may start to review out of London, uh, perhaps for the stage in the mm-hmm. future. So okay. yeah, so I'm just going to say it again so that people can download it. That's the Stage Door app. Yeah, it's called Stage Door app. It's completely free to download okay uh, yeah. brilliant so do take a look and then the other project you're talking about was uh digital theater plus digital theater plus and can normal people subscribe to that yeah well they can in fact as an individual it is mostly uh, uh universities and schools mm-hmm. who currently do so i think there are individual subscriptions and i think it's something that they are very much looking to develop okay and if you're obsessive then you yeah. why not yeah. um so very last question um because I think it's interesting talking to you about legacy and other things because your medium isn't as ephemeral as everyone else I have spoken to thus far. But it's still yesterday, tomorrow's fish well, and it's chips. Still, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but somewhere in a newspaper, you know, you, you know, somewhere in a library, if those still exist, there may be a microfiche if those yeah, still exist. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something tangible that one can hold afterwards, I yeah. guess. Um. So I'm just kind of curious when... So one of the questions I ask everyone is when you leave this place Mm. um, and artistic directors have the opportunity to take that as this building or like this, this, you know, astral plane, um, what would you like... What would you like to leave behind that wasn't here when you arrived? If I... If... uh, I don't know. if, if, If in 50 years someone says oh did you you did that podcast with Lynn Gardner and I'd say yes she was brilliant she did this oh I think I'd hope that people would say she she tried to hold the door open that's really nice Mm. good okay thank you Lynn Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.